another episode of the Sooner Nation podcast. I'm Matt Hofeld along with Rich DeCray. Hey, real fast, you can find us on the web every day, heartland-sports.com, where you can find content about the Oklahoma Sooners, the Oklahoma City Thunder. Every now and then we'll post something about Oklahoma State. For example, right now, you can go on there and see the top plays from 2020 and David Aguebu's interception against the Cowboys is right there. Um, by the way, there's... Man, there's that's a-, a little bit of a dig, isn't it, yeah, Matt? Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. Um <laughs> There's actually some been some uh, some social media fodder since I started that uh, since I posted that about that I mean from Oklahoma fans about that not being an interception but you know it is what it is uh, it was ruled an interception and we got it as our number 17 play of the season let's start though we're going to talk about basketball we've got Oklahoma softball finally uh, get their season underway boy did they ever have a dynamic debut to the season. Uh, True or false with Rich asking the questions. And then we've got some football, uh, mostly recruiting talk to to get into. Um, But basketball, Rich, basketball is where it's at right now. Oklahoma with a double overtime victory on the road at West Virginia. You and I talked the last time we recorded about this really being a battle for the number two spot in the Big 12. And, you know, West Virginia fell at Texas. Excuse me. West Virginia won against Texas Tech, and then that set up this this big uh, big battle between the Sooners and the Mountaineers, and I was worried going into this, just based off of the layoff that Oklahoma experienced, not being able to play Baylor because the Bears shutting their program down, and then you've got really Oklahoma going stride for stride, blow for blow with West Virginia through the first half, second half, and most of the two overtimes went in on a defensive play I mean, uh, I, I can't say enough good things right now about what Lon Kruger has going on in Norman with this team. In addition, Matt, when we talk about West Virginia, one of the things that's easily overlooked is I've spoken on numerous occasions about the strength that is the Big 12 as a conference from top to bottom. We're looking at they released their top 16 if it were seeded today, the 16 seeds, and six of those teams were from the Big 12 Conference. Right. That's quite quite an impressive feat in and of itself. So we talk about the strength of the Big 12, and anytime you can put together any sort of a win streak, especially in a conference like this year's conference, it shouldn't go without notice. West Virginia was on a three-game win streak. You had mentioned they had upset Texas, and they were looking to continue their string of upsets as Texas was coming in. Excuse me, West Virginia was coming in as the lower-ranked team against Oklahoma in the AP poll, at least. When we look at at West Virginia and what they're capable of at home under a guy like Bob Huggins, we've talked about the physicality that they typically play with. We've talked about several different attributes that he's instilled into his team. And then to come in with such a long break, like you've mentioned, for Oklahoma and for Oklahoma to get that win, that's nothing to scoff at. And I think Oklahoma fans, the team, even though it's a double overtime win by a single single point, again, that's something to be proud of. Anytime you can get a win on the road in this conference, you can hang your hat on that. I can just be thankful at this point that we don't have to continuously hear that's a marquee win for this Oklahoma team because Oklahoma's done it time and time and time again, two times over West Virginia, beat number nine, Alabama, number five, Texas, and number nine, Kansas. There are several marquee wins for Oklahoma at this point that we can, 
I, I don't know that I ever used it, Matt. I don't know that you ever used it, but we heard it time and time again on the broadcast that this was a marquee win for this program. And instead, I think it was a team that was overlooked in the early going and is proving just how capable they are, especially with the leadership that they have in the backcourt. No, ESPN definitely used that quite a bit about the marquee win thing. Now, when you look at the uh, Big 12 standings, you got Baylor number two in the country. They're they're the top team in the Big 12. And then Oklahoma has solidified themselves at eight and four in conference play in that number two spot. But really, Kansas just right on their heels, um, just, I mean, literally right on their heels. And then Texas down at number four at seven and four in conference play. Sets up a pretty big matchup between the Sooners and the Longhorns this coming week. We'll, we'll talk about that here in just a minute. But going back to this West Virginia game, a lot of great players contributing good moments for the Sooners. But you and I have talked about whose team this is. And when you look at Austin Reeves, almost, I mean, he flirted with a triple-double, 28 points, nine rebounds, seven assists. I just don't think you can go a different direction as far as who the best player is on this team right now. And certainly who was the player of that game Saturday in Morgantown? There's a, a trend that has developed. And I don't know that I would have jumped on board with this initially. But if you were to look at the stat leaders for each and every game, more often than not, Oklahoma is finding themselves with a mark in the win column when Austin Reeves not only leads in points scored, but assists as well as rebounds. When we look at the player of the game specifically, Matt, against West Virginia, I think hats off to uh, to Austin Reeves. For some reason, was going to say Brady Mandic, even though that's not who we were talking about. But he had a good to, game as well. Yeah, to to Austin Reeves, hat tip there because undeniably he is the guy that when it when this game is on the wire everyone's looking in that general direction, whether he has the ball or not, whether he's the guy who's making the final shot or even attempting the final shot or not. Everybody's generally looking in his direction and they're saying, how do we shut down a guy like Austin Reeves, which then opens some things up for some other players like what we saw on Saturday. Yeah. And you know, look, Lon Kruger is still dealing with COVID issues. You see Alondis Williams come back. who's typically a starter on this team. Alondis came in, played limited minutes, hit his only shot of from the floor, made two free throws. But we're, this is the team we're seeing right now, as good as they are, probably isn't the team that we're going to see going into March, assuming everybody can get back and be healthy. But 100%, this is Austin Reeves' team, regardless of who's in that starting five. And if you get Alondis Williams back in there, um, still going to be Austin Reeves' team, but you got to love what you're getting. I know personally for me, you got to love what you're getting from a guy like Mo Gibson right now in, in the absence of Williams. It, back to this game, Rich, there, there were so many clutch plays. Speaking of Mo Williams, you, you've got the, just, I don't know how he made that layup at the end of regulation to put this game into overtime. Then you've got the, uh, the Austin Reeves shot to put OU up 91-90, or the, the game winner. And then to me, though, the, the block that Kirk Weth made after Austin Reeves made that go-ahead shot, that was the play of the game for me. There, there's a lot of options, but that, you know, that final shot, that final sequence, that last four seconds, to me, it seemed like an eternity. And that was, honestly, that was bad defense by Oklahoma and just poor execution by West Virginia. And then a lot of luck for the guys in the Crimson and Cream. We'll call it Sooner Magic if we need to. I don't consider that to be a great play by Oklahoma. But the block by Kirk Queth immediately after 
Austin Reeves gave them the lead. That, to me, was the play of the game. I 100% am on board with you in that statement. And there were some game-defining moments, as you had mentioned. I just didn't think that any were bigger than that singular moment. And we look at the minutes that Queth put played in that game nine minutes so to come right. up with one of these game defining stops actually a game altering stop because that block doesn't happen Oklahoma probably doesn't come away with that win needless to say you look again the nine minutes played and you look at the the fact that time-wise that's not a huge contribution in it to overtime game if we were just to look down the other list or down the list of other players you'll see upwards of 40 minutes played for the starting mm-hmm. five in fact, they were on the court for a majority of the time. Brady Manick, 40. Uh, Mo Gibson, 49. Reeves, 47. Elijah Harkless, 42. And Devion Harmon, 40. There's not a lot of minutes to go around. So, again, putting your trust in a guy like Kirk Weff and him coming up in that moment is huge. It speaks volumes of the trust that Long Kruger has in him, but it speaks to his ability and his athleticism that often goes unnoticed because of some of the other developing stars on this roster yeah for sure um now texas tuesday night number 13 in the country oklahoma wins in austin the longhorns coming looking to try to get one back so to speak if you're oklahoma you're sitting in good position clearly you want to win this game but if you if you do lose picking up that game in morgantown excuse me morgantown kind of helps balance that out but it when oklahoma again good spot riding high riding momentum but I, you mentioned the amount of time the Oklahoma starters had played. We've talked about Alondis Williams working his way back from COVID protocol. If you're asking me what worries me the most about this edition of the Red River rivalry on Tuesday night, it is the bench play. When you look at the lack of productivity that Kruger got from his bench on Saturday in Morgantown, they're going to need more against the Longhorns on Tuesday night, in my opinion. Yeah, the other thing that I'm going to add as another layer, if this were an onion and we're peeling it back, we can look at the Texas Longhorns and say a lot of people want to point to the first meeting, the first edition of the Red River rivalry. Texas was lacking a handful Mm -hmm. of players. Now, they played wire to wire with Oklahoma. We saw Oklahoma weather the storm. We saw Texas weather the storm. And that was a very close contest between the two. I talked about putting together win streaks. I know Texas had that that little mishap at West Virginia, but they're on a two-game win streak now. Oklahoma right. at the exact same position. So there's a lot of similarities when we look at these two teams. There's a lot of talent spread across the starting five for these two teams. I do think that Oklahoma has a hand up. One, the confidence of knowing that you're playing at home. Two, the confidence of knowing that you previously beat this team this season. Although it is going to be a slightly different look from the Texas Longhorns when they roll into Norman. But Matt, my my biggest concern is how do they handle the adjustments when we look at a roster that basically we'll be playing at 100% for Texas when we knew that that wasn't the case. And I don't want to put too much emphasis on that because I do think Oklahoma walked in to Austin and, and absolutely earned a win. And then they continued sure. to roll without a, several of their key players. You've already mentioned Alondis Williams, but we know that Brady Manick was out for mm-hmm. some time. And we know that Austin Reeves missed a couple of games himself. Did Oklahoma make any excuses? Absolutely not. A win is a win. And I'm not trying to, as I said, take away from Oklahoma's win over Texas and Austin, but it is going to be a different monster this time. And Oklahoma's going to have their work cut out for them. 
Yeah, but here's what I would look at if I'm Long Kruger is I'm I'm going to keep my game plan of what he did in Austin. Stay aggressive, attack, and and make them show that they can play sound defense without fouling. That was the problem in that game in Austin. They right. got in so much foul trouble. And really, it's it's what we saw Oklahoma fall into in Morgantown on Saturday. The Sooners got into a lot of foul trouble. It's just West Virginia couldn't convert. They, they missed 10 of their 21 free throws. And lost by one point. Oklahoma was able to capitalize on that type of situation, <clears throat> excuse me, in Austin. And so if if I'm the Sooners, if I'm Lon Kruger, regardless of the five people that Texas puts on the floor, I'm attacking. And I'm are they going to be passive knowing that they got rung up for so many fouls in Austin? Or are they going to be aggressive and just do what they normally do? That's going to be the first key of the game for Oklahoma and maybe the biggest key of the game for Oklahoma. Real quick question about this game, because we did talk about the bench play. We talked about the number of minutes that Oklahoma, the starters played against West Virginia. Does stamina come into, does it play a factor here for you at all? I don't think at this point of the season it does, unless we're talking again, like a guy like Alondis Williams, who's working his way back from pro, uh, from COVID protocol. But no, at this point of the season, you've, you've got your legs. If they've played Saturday, they've got Sunday off, they've got Monday off, they'll play Tuesday these guys are are good to go. Um, if it was early in the season, I would say probably there's there's an issue there. But being this late in the season, absolutely not. Um, if, if they lose, it's just because Texas is going to be better on that night. Not yeah. because they got tired. I'm just saying, I, I, I'd never throw that out. Yeah, late in the season, I'd never throw that out as an excuse. Yeah, and I, I certainly hope that's the case. We know that the college landscape has shifted. Nutritionists have been brought on to the the staff athletically. And so you're seeing them work closely with teams. Lon Kruger's never shied away from conditioning. Matt, you and I should know that at least as well as, if not better than most people and participating in practices. We see simple mistakes. Okay, that hold, are up, off- hold up, hold up. Spectating at practices. I've never participated. You know what I mean. <laughs> I'm just, I just don't want you people to think we're out there running the floor with these no. guys. I'm way too no. old for that. No, no, no. My, my apologies on misconstruing that word. But when we've sat in on practices as spectators, what we've <laughs> noticed is simple, simple mistakes. And I'm going to use the term reward here, even though it's more of a consequence, but simple mistakes are often rewarded with what? conditioning. Right, and so right. we've seen that. And we know the system that Long Kruger's run in the past. Um, it's not as prevalent as it once was with the full court press. We're not seeing that every single game. And it's largely because Oklahoma has a different set of players, a different set of talent, and they don't need to rely as heavily on forcing mistakes from mm-hmm. opponents in order to make sure that they can get easy buckets. Yeah, for sure. Now, well, we don't know 100% what's going to happen on Tuesday night with this Oklahoma-Texas game. What we do know is something that a month ago we weren't for sure where this team was in terms of postseason. I think, Rich, barring a, a total collapse here over the last, what, five games of the season, Oklahoma is an NCAA tournament team. The latest bracketology has the Sooners as a number three seed. Again, when you, when you look at the preseason projections for this team, when you look at the fan expectations, is Lon Kruger, should he not be considered Big 12 Coach of the Year and maybe a yeah, maybe a contender for National Coach of the Year? Yeah, I, I do think that his name should be in that pile. It should be in the hat. The, the only issue 
is you look at the run that Baylor's put together mm -hmm. and everybody immediately wants to look at the right. unbeaten is Gonzaga. They want to look at Baylor. And those are the two coaches that, that most of the conversations going to center around. But again, I, I don't see a reason why a guy like Lon Kruger shouldn't be considered. You look at the transfers that have come in, you look at the talent that he was replacing and you look at just how well, surprisingly well that this team has done. And that's just over the, the course of 30 days. Did right. they always have that in them? Absolutely. But that first win over a ranked opponent, Matt came on January 23rd and mm -hmm. Oklahoma has simply steamrolled since I would argue going back to your bracketology really quickly. I would argue that Oklahoma is deserving. If the season were to end today of a number two seed, why? Because every time I look at that stinking bracketology, I see one name sitting there that I don't think is better than Oklahoma. Alabama. Alabama. Explain to me why the SEC, I get it for football. If you want to say that they are the most difficult conference for football, I may concede to you, but in basketball, it, it just makes zero sense to me. Alabama, I get it. When people begin to have conversations, they want to talk about the NBA talent that is on that roster. And that has yet to be seen. We don't know if they're actually going to cut it in the NBA, nor has the draft happened. So I can't fathom why in a head-to-head -head, Oklahoma beats Alabama, why Alabama would still be number one above in the NCAA rankings and number two above in the current seedings. Yeah, if there was only a game that could have been played between Oklahoma and Alabama that would settle that debate once and for all, you would you'd think that would, oh, wait, no, there was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair point, Rich. I, I think I agree with you wholeheartedly on that. We've got true or false coming up. Rich gets to ask the questions this week and there's no telling what he's going to ask me about. So we'll jump right into that as soon as we get back. Well, uh, Matt, as you had mentioned, I get to put you in the hot seat as we continue this discussion on the Sooner Nation podcast. Starting with true or false, Matt, I'm just going to continue with basketball here um, because one of the things that, that we look at is just how far this Oklahoma team can go and just how high they can reach. We know that there are some heavy hitters in the conference, and we know that nobody has really challenged Baylor at this point in time. So I wanted to make this statement because we know in a singular game, in an individual moment, over the course of 40 minutes, anything and everything can happen. So true or false, there's no chance for Oklahoma to claim a Big 12 tournament championship this year. Oh, that's absolutely false. 100% false. I, like Baylor, I, I like Baylor. When you, when, you, when you look at the talent that's on that roster, it's second to none in the Big 12. They are the most talented team. You've won me over to this side of the argument, Rich. I, I said several weeks ago, I thought Texas was still the top team in the Big 12. Since then, they've dropped several games. Baylor still remains undefeated. But I think two things come into play here. Number one is conditioning and where this program is after such a long layoff from COVID. I mean, this, is, this program is still shut down as we're recording this on Valentine's Day, February 14th. By the way, happy Valentine's Day. Um, and so, um, so that might be something that you consider when you come back. You know, th think about Brady Manick coming back. Think about Alondis Williams coming back for Oklahoma. Th those guys didn't immediately get back into the starting role. And you've got an entire program shut down with Baylor. So I think that right there lends itself to, to kind of opening the door for other teams in that top four of the Big 12 to jump in there. And the second thing is, I'm 
I'm still not sold on the coaching. I mean, Drew has been one of the worst X's and O's coaches in college basketball. How many times has this team gone into the Big 12 tournament or the NCAA tournament and been upset just because the X's and O's? It, it's, it comes down to coaching. And so I, you put both of those factors together. Is Baylor the most talented team in the Big 12? Absolutely. I don't think I'll debate that anymore. Are they the best coach team in the Big 12? I have no confidence that they're the best coach team in the Big 12. And because of that, I think you, you've got guys like Shaka Smart, like Lon Kruger, you know, that, that can go in there and really kind of throw some things out there to win the, the, the postseason tournament. Like I said, Matt, anything can happen, and I'm banking on chaos to begin to happen when we step into not only the glad, conference tournament but the NCAA tournament. Hey, I'm just glad that we finally have solved the are we actually going to get an NCAA tournament, I mean, a Big 12 tournament debate. Yeah. I mean, well, there was there was time not too long ago where they were like, that's not even going to happen. So I'm, I'm glad that they've come to their senses on that. <laughs> Well, we've already asked this question, Matt, as it pertains to Oklahoma and Alabama. So I'm going to, I'm going to ask it again in a true or false statement, but I want you to defend your statement just a little bit better here and, and go into a little bit deeper of an explanation. Okay. So true or false in the rankings, as well as NCAA seating, Oklahoma men's basketball should be higher than Alabama. No, that's a hundred percent true. And I know Alabama fans are going to say it wasn't a neutral site. The, the tide had to come to Norman. And I get that, and I agree with that, but I'm going to counter with the fact that Oklahoma was without key players in that game. And even with key players sidelined, they still beat the number nine team in the country. And so I would say Oklahoma missing those guys on the floor trumps Alabama having to come play basically in an empty Lloyd Noble Center, even though it is a road game. 100%, this debate should be over with. Oklahoma on the court was better than Alabama without star players that, that ends it right there. there you, you just can't come back from that. Now, Alabama has played five road games this season. Do you know how many they've lost? Uh, no. I'm, I'm, I'm they've lost to... one. I, I was going to say one, but then I was like, you were going to be like, no, they've lost four. But no. no Al- okay. Alabama has been excellent on the road. This is a team that lives and dies by the three. I think we established that in the game, especially leading up to the game and saying whichever team would make eight three-pointers had the highest percentage chance of actually claiming a win in that game. And I, I think we saw a little bit of that play out, but Alabama has been exceptional on the road. They've had their one mess up. And I don't think you should be able to consider that a fluke given the facts that you've already laid out so clearly for us. So Matt, I do want to switch gears for us. Let me just jump back to that real fast because you can't make this a fluke because you look at the win on the road at Texas, they'd already beaten West Virginia in Norman. Mm -hmm. Then they go on the road and they beat Texas and then they beat Alabama. And then they go back. Oh, by the way, Kansas gets beat in that mix. And then they go back to West Virginia. So anybody who's claiming that that game was a one-off fluke, you've got two, you've got two options here. Number one, you're just ignorant towards basketball or number two, you're just a, like a massive Homer (laughs) towards the crimson tide because you, there's no way you can argue fluke in that. And here's the truth, Matt, is that 
Oklahoma at that point in time, when those two teams met on the hardwood, Oklahoma was the hottest team in the country. Right. And for anyone to come in and deny that simple fact is, is oblivious to what's going on and just this, how strong, again, here we go, just how strong this Big 12 conference is. But I do want to switch gears on you as we begin to focus a little more on football and what's happening around the Oklahoma Sooners football program. So with that first football true or false, Matt, it's it's hard for me to deny this statement. It's hard for me to say that it isn't true. And it's even harder for me to say that I don't fall into the same category. But I felt as though the 2021 recruiting class hall was a little bit lighter than expected and didn't didn't really hold the number of five-star or top recruits that a lot of people thought it was going to. Now, that may be a little bit biased because we're looking at the offensive side of the ball instead of what Oklahoma is bringing in defensively. And we're also comparing what Oklahoma missed out on in running backs and offensive linemen versus what they're actually getting. Those are the things that that hit immediately home for a lot of people. And like I said, I'm lumping myself into that category. So even though 2021 may not have been the hall of recruits that Oklahoma fans expected it to be true or false 2022 will be the way it's setting up currently 2022 true or false will be. Um, well, yeah, 2022 is, is off to a, a fantastic start. And I know there's uh, with the really Brown commitment, there's, there's Oklahoma fans are, they're jaded towards running backs, particularly high profile running backs, but um, let's not forget that Samar Wheaton was never really committed to this team. It was assumed that he was committed, but apparently he never was where you've got Rayleigh Brown already committed. This is a, a top five recruiting class for 2022. And, um, and I think they're only going to get better. So, so yeah, I, I would say at this point, all indications are that this 2022 class will be the best class that, that Lincoln Riley has signed in his time at Oklahoma. That includes as offensive coordinator and head coach. Now I would go back to this 21 class for, for just a second and say, I, I do feel like we still need to kind of talk ourselves off the ledge, ledge a little bit because you lost Samar Wheaton, you lost Tristan lay, you know, you, you didn't get Emeka Abuka. You, so those guys that were, rumored or thought to be leaning towards Oklahoma went elsewhere, but you know, there, there's not a lot of five-star talent out there. There's only like 32 five-star guys every year. So when you've got 119 plus division one schools um, out there clamoring, excuse me, FBS schools clamoring to, to get these guys. And then you divide that up amongst the power five, really that's where the five stars land. Oklahoma did get Caleb Williams. And then when you look at the four-star talent, like, Clayton Smith, Mario Williams, Billy Bowman. I mean, this is a good class that Oklahoma signed in 2021. And I want to go back just because this kind of maybe a soapbox for me a little bit, because I don't want to, I don't want to come off as if Emeka Ekbuka was not a big loss for Oklahoma, but let's not forget that at the time that he committed, Mario Williams was the top receiver in this class. That's that's pretty big for Oklahoma. And and so I think Oklahoma fans, they they just and I say they me, I'm involved in that. I I think we get a little bit behind ourselves a little bit uh, on this and we get down on ourselves. But when when you look at the four star talent that's on this roster, it's quite lengthy. 
And then when you look at the five transfers that they added in, I want to say the kid, um, Bowen's the, the quarterback. I, I don't know. That's off the top of my head, Rich. I, I want to say that the, the quarterback from Penn State, Bowen's, is the only guy of the five transfers that wasn't a four-star recruit. So Oklahoma added a lot to the arsenal in 2021. You, you mean four or above? Yeah, four or above. Yeah, I, maybe the, the kid that transferred from Arizona, the Congo kid, the, the offensive lineman, he may not have been a four-star recruit either. But I'm, I'm pretty sure I, – I think I can confidently say without looking at it, three of the five were four-star or better, and then they all five were three-star or better. So maybe they didn't do it traditionally through the, through the signing class, but they definitely added – this roster is better now than, than the roster that beat Florida in the, in the cotton bowl. No doubt. hundred percent. I see you looking at me like that. 100%. Yeah. You really believe that even, even without a guy like Trey Norwood, 100%. Trey Brown on the roster. Yeah. This, this roster right now is better than the roster that beat Florida. I'm glad I'll, you say that. I'm uh-oh. glad you say that. Cause it's a really good segue for me. Cause we do look at the losses, Matt, that Oklahoma has in Trey Norwood in Trey Brown. Of course, there are others that are leaving from the offensive side of the ball and some along the defensive line. But when we're looking ahead at this 2021 class and the transfers that are coming in, it's very evident and it's very clear that this coaching staff is trying to find plug and play players Mm -hmm. who can immediately step in and fill some gaps that were left void by these early um, opt-outs for the NFL, as well as graduation. Needless to say, when we look ahead and we look just specifically at the upcoming 2021 season true or false the deciding factor in how how successful oklahoma will be is in the secondary oh man yeah i think that's true and i think that's why um uh, getting the guy like key lawrence coming in from tennessee was crucial to this program um you know some some young guys are going to have to grow up a little bit um in that secondary but I think the talent's there, and, and I think even more so, um, not just the talent, it's, it's going to be developed, and it's going to be the guys that, that Alex Grinch really wanted to have uh, at his disposal. And so when, when you look at – and I'm, I'm talking about size-wise. I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking about, you know, we, we, everybody knows that Alex Grinch wanted long, athletic, defensive backs, and he's going to have – as close to that as he's ever had before. And so you're going to have a guy like Jaden Davis, who's going to be a junior. He's only 5'10". You know, Woody Washington's 5'11". But behind them are taller guys like DJ Graham, who's 5'11". Josh Eaton, I think, is 6'2". Those guys are both freshmen in 2020. They're, they're going to be a year older. Um, you've got Jeremiah Cradell, a 5'11 guy, who's a little bit taller than DTL. And then you know, you, you look at that free safety position and, you know, Pat Fields has been spectacular, but he's 5'11", and you've got a guy like Bryson Washington, 6'2". I, I just think that nickelback position, you know, that's that's going to be the with Key Lawrence, that's going to be, you know, the, the play. The, the, I think that's going to be the deciding factor. And I said this last week when we recorded, Rich, that this defense changed. You know, you've got DTL out there. You've got Pat Fields out there. You've got Woody Washington and Jaden Davis. Those guys are all coming back, right? But this defense really took a a turn when Trey Norwood came in in Lubbock, Texas, and took over that nickelback position. And I think Key Lawrence is is probably going to be at least as good as Trey Norwood, if not better. 
based on the experience that he already has in Knoxville. So I know I'm just kind of rambling here, but the truth is I, I absolutely, I think this is the key for Oklahoma going into 2021. And, and like I said, I'm sticking to my guns. This is a better roster now than the team that beat Florida in the, in the, uh, I keep wanting to say sugar bowl, but it was the cotton bowl. We are seeing the recruiting pickup. We've talked about the number of defensive recruits and more specifically the number of defensive recruits that play into Alex Grinch's system. You've noted it. I'm repeating it here. But one thing that Matt, we, we, as Oklahoma fans can't seem to stay away from are these rumors of coaches leaving for the NFL Mm -hmm. or even potentially coordinators leaving for head coaching jobs. Every time one comes available, it seems without fail that an Oklahoma Sooner current Oklahoma Sooner coach is listed as a name in the mix. So true or false in the next three years, Oklahoma will lose Alex Grinch. No, I think that's true. I, I, I did say that um, I didn't think this was the year to worry about Alex Grinch leaving. It's next year after after it, people will see the continued improvement of this Oklahoma defense. It, it's undeniable. They were better last year in 2019 than they were the year before in 2018. They're better in 2020 than they were in 2019. There's no reason to believe that they won't be exponentially better again in 2021. Alex Grinch is already on the radar uh, he was, you know, Arizona called him. They wanted to talk to him. He at least showed an interest in, in getting that experience as interviewing for a head coaching position. I think it's something he wants to do, and he will be a mega hot commodity after the 2021 season. Well, Matt, that's all I got for you on that true or false. Um, I'm I'm just going to kick us off into the next segment here then, okay? Um, because I know one thing that you've been following very closely has been these transfers. In fact, we just mentioned that Oklahoma has five of them. Last week, we talked about, are there going to be any additions? And it was one of your true or false questions. And I said, no, that, that I didn't think that there would be any other late additions as a part of this 2021 class. But of course, you had a differing opinion. And that differing opinion involved the name Big Cat Williams, who we know went from Auburn to Tennessee and is now looking for a new home, correct? Is that not right? Yeah, he he technically never left. Um, right. Well, he committed never, to Tennessee. Yeah, but it's Big Cat Brian. You, you said Williams, and you got yes, me on that last I, week. I did that last and, week. Yeah, I'm not I'm not gonna fall Crap. for it this go around. But it's Big Cat Brian. Hey, it, thanks for that correction. Hey, that's what I'm here for, bro. Um, but no, he um, he was going to go from Auburn to Tennessee because his former high school coach was on staff at Tennessee, and then all of the uh, all the coaches at Tennessee got the can. And so um, he is still a collegiate free agent. The best way to put that out there. He, I don't, what I know about this situation, he's not going back to Auburn because his coaches at Auburn got fired as well. So he's kind of homeless. Um, and I think you're getting around to asking me, is he coming to Oklahoma still? Is that, is that where we're no, headed? No, I'm not because, because I do believe that to be the case. All indications are pointing towards Big Cat, not Williams, but Bryant. <laughs> and the reason I've said Williams this week is because I have Ray Leak Williams right. listed as, as one of the notes that I've got here. Big Cat Bryant, I do believe, and like I said, all signs are pointing to her, towards him landing at the University of Oklahoma and eventually playing in the Crimson and Cream. The biggest question that I have when it comes to Big Cat Bryant is will he <laughs> will he enroll before the end of this semester or will he be a, a late addition to this class? 
Yeah, I think he's going to come in the summer. Um, I, and again, I know Oklahoma fans, we have to back ourselves up off the cliff several times, but just because he's not here right now for the spring semester doesn't mean he's not coming. The way I understand it, he's got some things that he's still wrapping up at Auburn. I believe it's classes, not because he's behind in grades, but I think he's going to graduate and come as a grad transfer and be here during the summer. It is not the end of the world for guys with the experience like what he has to um, to just come in as, as, as a summer guy. Um, this isn't a guy who's never played before. It's never, it's not a guy who's never played significant reps before he was a defensive star at Auburn recruited as an edge rusher. And I think that's what Oklahoma is going to use him for. And, um, I think he'll be here during the summer and I think he's going to get acclimated to Norman and to the teammates. And I think he's going to be a, a key contributor for Oklahoma in 2021 I think it's all a done deal. I really do. He's just got to finish up what needs to be done at Auburn for him to come in as a grad transfer. So basically, let, let me get this right. What you're saying is that Big Cat Bryant is going to enroll at the University of Oklahoma, but he is not going to be one of the guys that we see struggling to keep up simply because he missed the spring, that he's still going to compete for playing time and potentially compete for a starting role, knowing what Oklahoma, sure, I, I get that there are some key components coming back on this defensive line, but when you look at a talent, you look at the length, and you look at what he's displayed in his time at Auburn, you're saying that he's a guy who not only will compete for playing time, he's going to compete for a starting role. Yeah, hundred percent. He'll, he'll be in the rotation. If he's not a starter, he'll be one of those guys that, that comes in as they'd like to rotate those edge rushers. Oklahoma does have talent at that position. Uh, even though they lost Ronnie Perkins, there's still guys there. And don't forget Caleb Kelly's coming back in 2021 as well. But I just, what I know about him, what I've seen him in the study of film on him, I think he's being undergraded. Um, but I'm, what I mean by that, is I don't think he's being graded as highly as he should be as a edge rusher, just because he played in the SEC and there's just not as many drop back passing opportunities in the SEC as there are against teams in the big 12. I think he'll have I'm, based on everything I know. Okay, Rich. Now you can never a hundred percent prognosticate anything, but what I've seen of this kid in his development at Auburn, what I've seen in his technique at Auburn, and what I know Oklahoma wants to use him, he could easily have a career season in his final season as, as, a, as a collegiate football player for the University of Oklahoma. And it, it's not like we haven't seen players who have a similar pedigree come into the University of Oklahoma, step onto the field, whether that was in the spring or whether that was in the summer, and be completely denied a look. Mm -hmm. The most recent one that comes to mind is a guy like Jalen Hurts who stepped into the locker room and right. immediately won the group over with his work ethic. He's not, at least my take on it, was that he's not the most personable of individuals. Now, a lot of what I'm perceiving from a guy like Jalen Hurts was how he would talk to the media. It was right. always about business. It may have been different behind a closed door. Totally with a different camera. Behind, yes, totally different. Yeah, with a camera, not in his face. And so I'm saying I'm saying all that with a grain of salt here. But we saw Jalen Hurts come in and, and have a career year, which landed him higher up in the, the draft board than I think a lot of people would have expected had he finished his time at Alabama, even if he had been the starting quarterback there. So we look at Big Cat Bryant, and I think there's a similar mm -hmm. trajectory for him on this defense, especially under a guy like Alex Grinch. No, that's a great comparison. Jalen Hurts and SEC offenses 
and just being a different monster at Oklahoma in the Big 12 with Lincoln Riley and Big Cat Bryant playing against SEC offenses and then just literally going to be a different monster at the University of Oklahoma. I do believe he's coming. I have good information on this, and uh, I'm sticking to my guns on it. I mean, just, it's, not, it's not happening in the timing that we want it to happen, but it is going to happen based on what I've been told with this situation. You know, here's what we know about Big Cat Bryant, but let me ask you something we don't know. Where is Rayleigh Brown going to play in this offense? <laughs> that That's the biggest question for anyone who follows Brown on Twitter. I said that I would flip a coin here, Matt. Heads, it would be wide receiver. Tails, it would be running back. But the truth is, is that the flip of a coin isn't going to decide that for him. Here's the big catch for me. When we begin to look at Brown and we look at his size, he's a guy who stature wise isn't the tallest of right. of running backs but that's never really been a, a a problem we can look over the course of the big 12 kansas state most noticeably has had several recruits who have stepped onto the field and haven't haven't been this six foot 511 or even six one beast who just plows through an offensive line brown brings that similar style for Oklahoma to the table. But when it comes to the, the, the wide receiver position, Matt Brown's going to enter the collegiate realm, having more weight on his frame than a traditional wide receiver coming from the high school ranks. If you're asking me uh, well, of, of his height. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me say just two things real fast. When you talk about, about this kid, the number one thing is speed. And that's why I think he's going to be used everywhere. He, California didn't get to play high school football this year because of COVID. But in his first two seasons, as a freshman and as a sophomore, he combined to catch 65 passes for 1,400 yards and 18 touchdowns. Now, this is a five-star running back who's averaging 21.75 yards per catch as an underclassman. Can he play receiver at the University of Oklahoma? Absolutely. I compared him uh, on a post at Heartland Sports to Marquise Brown, you know, to Hollywood. He's 5'8", he's 185, incredibly close to size of Hollywood Brown. But the thing is, he's dangerous with the ball in his hands, whether he's getting it behind the line of scrimmage as a handoff, whether he's getting it on a swing pass, or whether he goes vertical. I think the best comparison I've seen to him outside of an Oklahoma player would be a guy like Percy Harvin or Tyreek Hill. Um, you know, what, what Florida did with Percy Harvin, what Kansas City has done with, with Tyreek Hill. And those where he could be a running back one position or one play. Then the next play he's in the slot. And then the next play he's out wide and then he's in motion and you don't really know where he's going. He's getting him on a jet sweep. That's where I believe Oklahoma is going to use him. I do think he will take snaps at running back hundred percent will not be a traditional running back in this offense. I think Lincoln Riley is going after another guy uh, to take that role for the 2022 class. And we can talk about him if you want to, but, um, but I just, I, I where, where they're going to use him. I don't know, Rich, but here's the thing that placard that he tweeted out, that wasn't something that one of these edits that somebody made, that right. was something that the university of Oklahoma produced. And right. you look at several of those commitments for the 2022 class, they tweeted those out with their name and their positions as what their locker would look like. And that thing said wide receiver. It wasn't a, it wasn't a typo. It wasn't a mistake that came from the university 
and they have him listed as a wide receiver. Is that going to, th- is that going to hold? I, I don't know. And one thing that we know, I'm going to, this is twofold for me. So two things that we know, one is that these Lincoln Riley offenses have thrived on versatility. Mm -hmm. So when you can get a player who can step in and play numerous roles for you or fill various um, positions, depending on what set you're running with without having to substitute anyone off, it automatically gives you a hand up. And we know that Lincoln Riley loves creating mismatches. If you think there isn't one, he's going to be the guy to find it. And guess who, who can, who can he use in order to find some of these mismatches? All of a sudden, let's say Rayleigh Brown does commit, does sign with the University of Oklahoma. That's a tool in the tool belt of Lincoln Riley, and I expect him to use him as such. The second thing that we know is that Oklahoma is very, very much so on the cutting edge of Mm -hmm. creating these individual brands for players. So I agree with you. I don't see that as a mistake. I don't see that as a typo, but it's the beginning of a brand for a guy like Rayleigh Brown, where they're saying, we're investing in you here a little bit. We're not going full in. We're not going overboard with it just yet. Like we have done with previous recruiting classes when those letters of intent actually come in, but here's a little teaser of what we can do and how we can begin to set you apart from the rest of the players who play the same position and are looking at a final goal of the NFL, much like your yourself is yeah and i think when you look at uh, i've got two more thoughts on this i think when you look at demarco murray recruiting him and how demarco murray was used particularly in that 2008 offense as a guy who who basically was a trendsetter doing the things that we're talking about rayleigh brown doing um and then um the second thought is there there is a there's a precedent for this in the NFL. We we mentioned already Tyreek Hill at Kansas City, what Kareem Hunt is doing with Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. There's a precedent to sell this kid on that kind of stuff, that he can be a tweener role that becomes that mismatch. Because if you think about it, if he catches, if he's always going to be a threat to run if he's in the backfield and he's got speed. But if he mm-hmm. catches the ball out of the backfield, most likely he's he's going to have linebacker coverage. That's a mismatch. If you get him in jet sweep motion, that's going to be a defensive end who has to step out and get him. That's that's a mismatch. And then you put him in a slot when you've already got this bevy of, of five-star talent at receiver. It's going to be a lot of fun for him to to wherever Lincoln Riley decides to to do um, with him. And, and again, kudos to DeMarco Murray for for landing this kid and making him a part of this class. You just I know, like I said, Oklahoma fans are a little bit jaded and uh, we just, especially when it comes to the running back position. Um, hey, let's close this out and talk real fast about softball. <clears throat> kind of last but not least, Oklahoma just absolutely dominant in El Paso, Texas over the weekend. They played uh, Thursday and Friday, uh, really wasn't even the weekend. They did, if, if, if you think about it, four run rule victories. They set a, an NCAA record 13 home runs in their season opener. The pitching staff only gave up two runs uh, in four games, and that's a pitching staff that didn't include Shannon Sale this weekend. Now they're going to go down to to Huntsville and Houston for uh, for a four game set or this coming weekend. Look, Patty Gasso said prior to the season that this could be the best offensive team that she's ever coached, and there's nothing, Rich, absolutely nothing that we saw in the opening four games that would make you think any different. Patty Gasso has had some incredible players 
on previous rosters. I just don't think she's had this much offensive talent from top to bottom, from that one spot all the way down to the nine hole. And that's becoming exceptionally evident to me, especially considering the numbers that this Oklahoma, the hitters specifically put up. I get a lot of people will begin to talk about, well, it's the level of competition, but guess what? They're not hitting 13 home runs in every single game. It shows you the discipline of the hitters, but it also shows you the power of the hitters. And I think that that is something that Oklahoma can fall back on as they begin to move closer and closer to conference play and then closer and closer to the college, um, the, the tournament. Whether that's Super Regionals or whether that's the Women's College World Series, it's something that they'll continuously hang their hat on. Now, I know that at this point of the season, Patty Yasso is notorious for developing some of the younger pitchers and getting them some playing time because you never know when you're going to need them. You never know when you're going to be forced to rely upon them in the circle down the stretch. So again, kudos to Patty Yasso. She obviously knows what she's doing. This is her 27th season at the University of Oklahoma. And for her to say that it is her most potent offense, that should be eye popping for anyone who is going to be an opponent of this team, but also for people who are fans of the program. Well, and when I saw that prior to the season starting, I thought, okay, she's excited, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But we've, we've covered this team for a long time. We've been there when they've won the world series. We've been there when they lost the world series We've seen a lot of offensive talent under Patty Gasso, but here's what we've not seen a roster that from top to bottom can go yard. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, you've had power hitters mixed in with slap hitters and bunters with a, people like Shea Knighton, who had a ton of speed. This is a powerful lineup. And you look at the number of home runs they hit over the weekend. And regardless of the level of competition, talent is talent, power is power. There's a reason why no one ever has hit 13 home runs in a game. You know, if, if it's just based on level of competition, well, then that that's just throw all the records out. But regardless <laughs> of level of competition, no one has ever hit right. 13 home runs in right. a game. And, and truth be told, Matt, is you have to average that out. You basically have to hit two every inning. That's well, near impossible. But they didn't, yeah, and they didn't even go the full seven innings. Mm-hmm. I mean, they they didn't, they, all of them were, were run rule victories that ended short. And so I am curious to see, you know, they're, they're going to have two games with Houston. They, they play Sam Houston State. Um, you know, it's going to be different this weekend. I'm curious to see what happens with this pitching staff when Shannon Sale comes back. It's good to see Giselle Juarez healthy. We didn't get to see her healthy in 2020. She's starting healthy this season. And no doubt, as good as the pitching was over the weekend, no doubt it'll be G. Juarez and Shannon Sale as the top two pitchers on this staff once everything comes back around. But fantastic start for Oklahoma softball. Baseball gets rolling this weekend as well. Um, so it's spring sports are here, and I always enjoy spring sports. That's going to wrap it up for us here at the Sooner Nation podcast. You can always find us on the internet again, heartland-sports.com. We're on the Twitters at Sports Heartland, and we'd love to hear your feedback. Let us know where you agree, disagree, and uh, what you'd like to contribute to the conversation. Have a great week, everybody. Stay warm. Boomer Sooner.